Hey guys, so this is the third episode in the series. If you've not listened to the first two episodes, make sure you go back in time to, to check those out first. It should be in the title of the episode, uh, which part in the series it is. Uh, so make sure you go back and check those out so that you have a full understanding of what it is we're talking about today. So anyway, I just want to jump in here real quick and let you know that. Uh, we'll see you next time. Welcome to the Tooth and Coin Podcast, where we talk about your adventure of being a dental practice owner. Uh, in these episodes, we're going to be talking about problems that you will likely face as a practice owner, as well as give an idea about actionable solutions that you can take so that you can get past this problem in your practice. Some of these concepts are really big ones. Some of them are very specific, but we hope that these episodes help you along with your journey. Now, a very important piece for you to understand is that this is not paid financial advice. This is not paid tax or legal advice. Uh, we are not your financial advisors. We are not your CPAs. Uh, this is two CPAs talking about informational and educational content to help you along with your journey. It's a very important piece for you to understand. Another thing that you need to know is that if you enjoy today's content, join us on the Facebook group. So we've got a Facebook group that is active with dentists that is going to have content talking about what we're talking about today to continue the discussion. Agree with us, don't agree with us, have a story to tell, have something to share, join us in the Facebook group. If you go to Facebook and you search for Tooth and Coin Podcast, click on it to join it and be able to join us there. Finally, if you need some more help, we're developing a list of resources that are going to be centering in around our topics of discussion to be able to help you a little bit more than what the content is doing. So if you'd like access to that whenever it becomes ready, all you have to do is text the word tooth and coin, T-O-O-T-H-A-N-D-C-O-I-N to 33444. Again, that's tooth and coin, all one word, no spaces, to 33444. Reply with your email address and we'll email you instructions on how to get into the Facebook group, as well as add you to the list to be able to send you those resources when they're available. And if they're available, we'll go ahead and send them to you as well. So on to today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. So we, we give that number to our clients every month. Here's what your break-even point is. Um, so they can have they can have that concept. They can they can have that context of, you know, well. I want to make $30,000. My break-even point's $45,000. I got to be producing 75. Right now, my average is 55. I got a lot of work to do. They know they got to influence it. They got, they, they're not going to be surprised when they don't have $30,000 at the end of the month. Like they're going to know, you know, what, what, what that is. So what about you in terms of break-even point, things like that? What are some of the things that you like to use a, um, a break-even point in order to be able to use in terms of management and sort of goal setting and things like that? Yeah, so I, I think it's probably important that we talk about the things that go into that break-even point. So, so like it's it's it it is a few additions to the calculator and a subtraction. Uh, so when we look at a break-even point, like what was all of the costs involved from your P and L for the month, right? So what was your total cost to operate? And then we're going to add back those owner's discretionary expenses, like the mm -hmm. owner's wages. We're going to add that back. We're going to add back depreciation and amortization because those are paper paper entries that go on. And then we're also uh, going to subtract out and say how much were your principal payments on your debt to get your to get to your break even point. So, uh, so you know those 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 break even points. I, I find that to be most useful in determining how much cash you need to keep in practice. So, mm -hmm. you know, as you're looking at you know how much cash you know if I, if I'm looking at a client that has a break even point of a hundred thousand dollars and they have seven hundred thousand dollars in their business checking account, I'd say you've probably got a little bit too much cash in your practice. It's not working for you. 
Uh, so, you know, what you do with that cash, there's a lot of things, call your financial advisor and talk to him about that. Uh, but you know, if we've got a client that has a hundred thousand dollar break even point and their, uh, cash in the bank is $50,000, it's like, you know, look, dude, like we probably should slow down this owner's withdrawals. We probably should, you know, slow down all these different things. We need to get that cash to a point where you can sleep well at night that you've got the liquidity to be able to operate. And when we look at that, uh, that ratio, so like your break even point to the cash in the bank. You know, again, that's it's very similar to what we were talking about with the balance sheet and looking at the current assets divided by current liabilities. Like, it's not the same exact number, but it's the same concept. How many how many weeks worth of cash do you have to operate? So, if the spigot of income gets turned off today, how long can you operate? Can you operate for a month? Can you mm-hmm. operate for a week? Can you operate for six months, eight months, ten months, twelve months? So, those are the things that, that that I like to talk to practice owners about. You know, and and we get the question all the time: like, how much cash do we keep in the practice checking account? You know, and a lot of that has to do with the comfort level of the practice owner. So you know, there are some practice owners that want to empty the checking account out every month and take all that money home. There's some practice owners that say, hey, I really you know, want to make sure that I keep $100,000 or $150,000 or $50,000. Like that number is different. Like that level of cash and comfort is different for everybody. The thing that I like about the breakeven point is it takes the emotion out of it. And it just says, here's how much it costs to operate your practice, mm-hmm. period. Like now we can figure out what you want to keep cash wise uh, on hand with that. Yeah, completely agree. And, um, you know, that it, it's a really, it's a really just a, it's all, honestly, I think that's probably one of the, the biggest comfort levels you can get as a business owner is to reach that cash goal. Cause once you've gotten hit that point, at that point, you can just optimize, uh, because you, and, and, and really work towards those goals. I really like using the break even point as a goal set standard too. Um, because, um, let's say that I have a personal income goal of $40,000 a month. And I said, let's say this, let's say our break even point, uh, our average break even point is $50,000 a month. Again, um, you know, we give our break even point to our clients each month. We also give a rolling quarterly average as well as we give a, uh, a year to date average so that people can understand really kind of like what's, how's it, that break, how's that break even point trending? Where's my average? Like, what is the number that it looks like? So you can kind of give it real, so you can have a bit of normalization to that number, uh, as well. So you can, so you have a little bit of a, of a plus or minus on there. Um, so let's say a $50,000 break-even point is the number that you've been averaging or a fairly consistent number because obviously things go come up and down. There's things come and things will happen that, you know, create, uh, you know, one-time expenses. But by knowing that break-even point by heart, knowing it's $50,000, if I want to make $40,000, then I know I got to be at $90,000 a month in, in collections. I know that has to happen. And if I know that we're going to be open, you know, 18 days out of the month, a quick math is, I think that's $5,000 a day. I'm going to say 90000 divided by 18. $5,000 a day. Yes, my minor in math still, or almost a minor in math still still works. Um, so uh, so $5,000 a day is what you got to get to in order to be able to hit $90,000 in collections. Um, and all of a sudden, I've created a, 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 num- a quantitative number that we can use in terms of the pra- inside of the practice to quantify what it is we need to be bringing in in order to be able to set some type of a standard. If I know right now we're averaging $4,200 a day, I know that number has to change. I have to get an extra $100 a day in there. Um, if I have that $5,000 a day number in my head, I can then break that down into two. What I tell people to do is break it into two segments, break that into hygiene and break that into doctor collections. Um, hygiene is usually a little bit easier for people to calculate on, in, in terms of, because it, it it seems to be pretty um, standard. Like over time, there's a normalization of, of, of hygiene revenue, it seems like, because it's, you know, there's not, there's just not a whole lot of extra services that get added into hygiene. You have a profi and you have, the, you have a x-rays and you have, you know, fluoride and you have some, maybe you have 
um, some perio treatment or something like that if your practice is, is doing that. Um, and, but overall, you know, that revenue is fairly consistent from a hygiene perspective. And so let's say that you get two people there every day doing hygiene um, and you know that your hygiene is going to be somewhere around $1,800 a day in collections coming from your hygiene department. Um, that's a, you know, every practice is going to be a little bit different about what they do or don't do in this terms of those numbers. So that gives you a, that gives you $1,800 a day, $900 a hygienist goal, and it gives you a $3,200 doctor production in a day. And so that allows you to then say, okay, if my goal is $3,200 in a day, what does that look like in terms of what I am commonly doing in terms of production? You know, is that two crowns a day plus some exams and plus other things? I mean, what, what is that number to you as a dentist, as a practice? And is that one ortho treatment, a day, new ortho case a day? Like, what is that number? And that gives you a lot of power to set some type of a goal. Once you have those goals set, you can then bring your team in. And again, this is the reason to circle back to the, the part about having good staff is you want to have a team to be able to help you reach those different production goals. And that's where you start the training and you can start working on those different things. And it, I think it's just a really, it's a good starting point for allowing you to be able to come up with what you need to do in terms of what the, the production does. And again, that, that's just one use of, of the break-even point. I, I wish, you know, I, I would, if I was a business owner, I, I would, I would always know my break-even point. Um, well, I say that I do, I am a business owner. I do know my breakeven point. Um, but, uh, I, for all my clients, I, I urge you to understand your breakeven point because there's a lot of power in that number from a, in a bunch of different a aspects. I, I wish the breakeven point was just a, a standard financial statement number, but even though it's really important, it's probably, to me, it's probably the most powerful number that you get from your financial statements, but it's not on your financial statement. <laughs> Yeah. It's not, it's not there. You have to calculate, you have to know what you're looking for, um, in order to be able to look for it. So, um, to me, yeah, the breaking points of like a, a magic number almost that everyone should know. So, so anyway, so that's, that's the breaking point. Um, is there anything else on the P and L that you want to talk about or, um, is that we went pretty, pretty, pretty in depth on the P and L. Yeah, no, I, I like to look for trends. I like to see if things look out of whack. I like to look at you know, measures of her percentages over time. And, you know, I, I think that those are, those are going to help tell the story uh, as your practice grows or as your practice shrinks, you know, maybe one of those things that uh, you grew too fast, you have too much stuff going on, too much expenses. You hired a couple of associates and you're like, man, I need to go back to just being a single practice owner. Like those percentages will help you understand kind of what the story is uh, and even evens things out over time. So those are the, th those are the big things that I'm looking at for sure. Same here. So let's move on to the last one. And uh, I, 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 Joseph and I talked about this financial statement before the call. And I, I said, you'd probably be surprised by my answer to this one. The last one's a statement of cash flow. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of the statement of cash flow, what do you think is the, uh, what, what is it that you're looking for when you're analyzing a statement of cash flow? So the statement of cash flows is the, the beginning number of the statement of cash flows is what was your cash in the bank minus your credit cards at the beginning of the month. The bottom number on the cash flows is what is that number at the end of the month? The statement of cash flows tells you how you got from your beginning balance to your ending balance. So there are a couple of different things that go into how we got from A to B. The simplest, easiest way, and I'm not going to use the accounting technical term, is number one is like, what was the profit, right? What was the net profit of the business? And then we're going to add back non-cash expenses, appreciation, amortization, add those things back. And then we're going to subtract out, did we buy any assets this month? Cash assets. And then we're going to also subtract out, we're going to say, how much did we pay in principal payments in our debt? 
So how do we get in cash in the bank from X to Y? So when I'm looking at the statement of cash flows, oh, also, and then how much do we take out in owner's distributions? That's another pretty key component. When I'm looking at the statement of cash flows, first thing I'm looking for is, uh, did the cash go up or down over the period? And then the next question is why? As I'm looking at that, and then I also look at that ending cash balance, and I'm looking at that break-even point and seeing whether or not we're in good shape or not. So like if the ending cash balance is still seven times your break-even point, it doesn't matter that cash went down, you know, $10,000, $5,000, whatever it is. Like that's not a statement of alarm. Uh, also, I'm looking at the cash flow statement because we, we have a lot of owners that are saying, you know, hey, look, I'm not paying myself a salary. You know, I'm a Schedule C filer. Like how much how much can I afford to pay myself? And that's one of the first places that I go and kind of direct them at is to say, well, let's look at your cash flow statement. Let's see how much cash uh, was produced in the practice last month versus how much, um, you know, came out. Right. So let's, let's look at that. So I like to look at whether the cash increased or decreased and why, and then I try to figure out how much was taken out in owner's distributions and was it enough or too much or that kind of thing in order to figure out like where the cash balance is compared to the break even point. So those are some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, you know, if, if cash went down by $10,000, but that's because we paid off our line of credit, like that's not a bad thing. If cash went up $100,000 and it's because we took out a 50% interest hard lender line, like that's a bad thing. So like, how did we get from cash in the bank at the beginning to the end and what makes up all of those different pieces? Like obviously loans are, are, are a big part of practice ownership. Uh, but if, if you're taking out a loan that's, you know, in that that kind of a in ca- that kind of a way where you're just desperate for cash and you got to take it out at a really, really high interest rate, then that then like that's not something to celebrate because your cash went up because you took out, you know, a cash advance on your credit card. Like that's not a good that's not a good thing. So cash at the beginning, cash at the end. And then how do we get there? Like what are those kind of bigger key components? Like hopefully you ran a net profit for the month. Hopefully you took out some sort of uh, an owner's distribution. You probably had some sort of a payment on your line of credit uh, and you may or may not have bought a new asset inside the practice. So those, those are like the high level things that I'm looking at and just to make sure that it makes sense over time. And then comparing that to the back, back to your break even point and why it's so important, comparing that back to your break even point and seeing what the cash looks like. How about for you? What are you looking for in a statement of cash flows? Uh, the first thing that I look at in a statement of cash flow, again, if this is... If it's internally prepared by our firm, then I'm, I'm I'm actually looking at it. If it's externally prepared, I usually just throw it in the trash because uh, I know it's probably not going to be prepared well. Um, statement of cash flows is one of the most complicated financial statements to create for some reason. I think that the reason is, is because most bookkeepers and most CPAs do not have any need for a statement of cash flow whatsoever, ever when they're preparing a tax return. You do not need one for a tax return at all, um, and so I think that most people just ignore it and don't pay and don't and like they basically just hit the print button on their financial statements and statement of cash flow pops out and they give it to the people and they they get along with it. Um, I think that's what the standard is for most statement of cash flows. Um, if it's internally prepared, I know it'll be done well. I know that you know with the software that we use, the way we have it set up, it's going to give us what we need. Um, if I'm looking at a statement of cash flow. Uh, like you said, the way the statement of cash flow is set up is is is, is a three three prong approach. It has grouped um, beginning balance um, minus or my, plus or minus operating expenses, plus or minus investing activities, plus or minus financing activities, and the end is what your cash balance is going to be. And there's going to be a delta between the beginning and the end to see where that money went to. If you don't normalize that, it's gonna, that number is going to be worthless. Like it's not going to make any difference at all uh, because you know you, you may as well have just looked at your bank statement because your bank statement has at the beginning of the month how much cash was in there, has it a deposits, it has a spends, and it has an ending balance. Bank, bank statement says the same exact thing, right? 
right? Um, but in the statement of cash flow, it groups things into logical ways to be able to tell what's going on. Yes, the times when I would look at a statement of cash flow or whenever I'm looking at like a year end analysis to say, you know, if I have a client saying, you know, what happened to my cash? Statement of cash flow is where you would typically tell them where the cash went to. You do you do a roll a rolling number of showing them. Okay, well, beginning of the year you had this much cash. You spent you got this much in loans. You spent this much on loan. Uh, you paid this much in loans back. Um, you took it out this much in extra whatever. And then here in distributions, here's what you paid yourself, and here's where your cash went to. And that's that's the that's the rolling number. That's what the, that's the standard for like small CPA firms or that when you have small business clients, uh, we, you have to do that almost every year for most clients whenever you're a small CPA firm. Um, for us, we don't do that because we do that every month. We do it in a, in a customized way um, to show people two things or three things. Number one is cash profit. Number two is what your cash profit versus your tax profit is. So your, your, your cash profit is not what ends up on your statement of cash flow, but we use that number to help us calculate what cash profit is. Um, we have to add, do those add backs just like how we did with the normalization of the income statement. Um, and by the way, this is probably episode 12 now for the statement of cash flow. The um, You have to normalize that to be able to say where what happened to your money. I skipped over the third one, which is what is your tax profit versus your cash profit? Because those two numbers are very different and people get those really confused. Like you said, you mentioned, we, we, we talked about on the financial statements, like, you know, what's at the bottom doesn't make a whole lot of difference because, you know, it could be that the owner paid themselves something or, or, or another. Cash profit's the same thing. I mean, you, your cash profit is not going to be anywhere on your financial statements. So you you got to calculate it in order for it to be reality. And you got to normalize that cash profit. And then you have to compare that. You, you give them, you find out what your cash profit is so you can know how your business is doing. Your tax profit's really just there so you can kind of understand how much you, you've made from the t- IRS's eyes. Um, so you kind of have an idea of like what you'll be t- paying taxes on at the end of the year. That's really the only use for the tax profit number. Um, so we use the cash profit for that purpose, um, which is derived from a bunch of different metrics inside of the statement of cash flow. Um, uh, so I, I do, we do utilize it uh, because we also have things like the financing activities is the paying of the debt down and things like that. And I always get, I, even I get them confused. I don't remember the rules because the software does it for us all the time now is, you know, like I think technically when you take out debt, it's an investing activity, but whenever you pay it back, it's a financing activity or something like that. Or maybe it's the assets go into the investing and then the, it, it gets real complicated real fast. And there's, so there's, there's a real reason why we don't, you know, we don't look at it again because we never use it. Like it, the only time I'll ever use it is when I'm helping someone understand what happened to their cash. And then you go in and uh, if it's a well set, of, well done set of financials, that those numbers will roll the right way. Um, if there's a bunch of journal entries done to do the accounting every month, which is what a law firms do, the, the, the cash flow statement will not work because the journal entries will not be reflected appropriately inside of the statement of cash flow uh, almost ever. So, um, so yeah, so to answer the question again, the three things I look at is, you know, what is the, a- what is the actual cash profit versus what is, and then what is the delta of cash? And then what is that versus tax profit? Like th- those are the things that I look at in a ca- on a, on a, on a statement. Uh, they're not technically on the statement of cash flow, but that's what I look for when I'm using a statement of cash flow in, in, in the grand picture of things. Um, like I don't ever think, I don't think there's any, um, I, I think I had a client asked me, actually asked me this one time of, you know, what's the standard that should be going into my investing activities inside of the cash flow, statement of cash flow. Cause they, they're really studious and they, they heard about statement of cash flow and they'd read some type of book that um, had said that there was a you know really important number that nobody talks about or whatever it is. And, you know, there, there is no standard for that. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
in a small service-based business, it's very much what you're doing, not versus what other people are doing. Um, and the way, and the, and the ways and means that you get to those things, um, this isn't some, that isn't something you can normalize or you can't, I've used the term normalized too many times. Um, it's not something that you can aggregate and then make an average of and have it be a meaningful number, um, for anyone. Uh, I, I don't believe, um, because there's so many different variables that go into it, such as, you know, what type of practice it is, you know, what type of patients you have, how old is your practice, what's your production capabilities as a dentist. There's just so many different things that go into that, that it, it's, it's a, it's a fool's errand to try and figure to try and try and figure out, you know, is my, uh, is my investing activities on my segment of cash flow optimal comparatively to the other practices that are you know out there? Does doesn't exist. And and help us please if there is a study out there that says that there's some averages that you should be looking at in dental practices because I can only imagine what type of data they have. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, so that that that's me in the statement of cash flow. So, is there anything else you want to add for, for for that topic? Yeah, back to that question that I got when I sat down and interviewed for a for a finance job. Mm-hmm. The guys told me his favorite financial statement was the cash flow statement. And he was a mm-hmm. private equity investor. So basically he wanted to know how much cash he could skim out of the business, not skim out of the business, but he could strip <laughs> out of the business sure. uh, in owner's distributions every single month. So the cash mm-hmm. flow statement told him everything he needed to know. Did they make a profit or not? Add back depreciation, amortization, how, what were the loan paybacks? And then that's the cash I can then take out because that yep. was the net change in cash over the point in time. So um, anyways, I, I, I always struggled with cash flow statement whenever I was, whenever I was coming up through the ranks uh, in CPA land and in accounting land, uh, balance sheet income statement always made the most sense. But like, I always got confused. What you're talking about this financing versus investing. Like at the end of the day, the cash flow statement is trying to tell you where does your cash go. Mm-hmm. Did it go up or down, and why? Yep. That's what that, that that's that's what you need to glean off your financial statement in the cash flows. The statement of cash flows. Yep, absolutely. And it's it, it, it's there. You just got to know how to read it. Um, and. and that's another reason why I don't tell I tell dentists to not spend a lot of time on that because um, context is so important. And if you don't if you don't fully understand the full set of financials and your industry specifically, you really just can't read a book to tell you how to read a statement of cash flow. Like it just it isn't gonna it's not gonna bear fruit. Um, so to me, just you know, ho- hopefully you've got good advice and people are, are, are painting a picture for you rather than you having to know all the ins and outs of the of, of the the different elements of quantitative analysis in order to be able, or financial analysis to be able to, um, divine how these numbers are doing. Um, so, so yeah, so, um, those are the financial statements. Uh, and, um, there are, you know, we, 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 we've touched over things, believe it or not, even though we've, we've talked a lot about the financial statements, we've just touched over the things. There's a lot more nuance that goes into the creation of these things. Um, and the, um, there's almost like, it's almost an art in a way of, of, of the start to finish creation of them. And then the, then, then, and setting them up in a way in which it can be analyzed appropriately. Um, and that was something that I struggled with really heavily on when we started our firm was I wanted to teach everyone how to read their financials. Like that was my goal in life. Cause I was like, man, I'm going to teach people how to I'm gonna teach them how to be, you know, they're going to, they're going to be putting people at Goldman Sachs out of, you know, to, to shame because they're going to be able to know how to read the financials. Um, and I quickly realized, like, there's no reason to do that. Just tell them what they need, show them what they need. Um, and so, what we do in our firm is we definitely take those financials and we 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 we, we paint a tapestry of of the important numbers. Um, and a, a, a good set of financials can can be you know six to seven pages long of of, of data per period. 
Um, and you know, if you do that over the course of a year, you've got, you know, a hundred some odd pages of, of data. Uh, what we do for our clients every month is we set up, we set up the, all that information, but a single page report that, uh, uh, lets people understand really well the answer to four questions, which is, uh, how profitable are we? How well did we spend our money? How much cash did we make? And where did that cash go to? Uh, that's our goals with our financial analysis to give to our clients every month. Um, and then we help people if they don't understand what the, the numbers say, we then, you know, we teach them, we tell, tell them how to read it and tell them, tell them, show them what's, what happens. And if they have any questions about, you know, the results, you know, they ask us and we can give them our input from viewing that over 250 times a month. Um, that's, that's the way that we approach this challenge and approach the problem of the, you know, that there's not a whole lot of, um, education out there about what are on the financial statements. And I'll be honest, I don't really think that there's, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm torn on this one at this point because my, my thinking has evolved so much over the past, you know, 10 years. Do you, would you, would you spend time if you're a dentist going and taking like a course, like a three hour college course about how to analyze financial statements? I wouldn't, I don't think it'd be a good, good use of your time. I think that if you got a good CPA or a good accountant that can help you understand your financial statements, then you can see what's going on month to month and tell you everything. Yeah. I think a three hour course, because it's not going to be relevant, right? Like the same metrics they're going to teach in that. They're going to talk about some of these higher level concepts like the debt to income ratio or the assets to liabilities or the current ratio. They're going to talk about a couple of those things. They're not going to say, here's what your supplies and labs need to be each month. They're not going to say, well, this is the typical in your industry, how much your overhead should be. Like if we're a construction business, right? We got more going to materials than you do in a dental <laughs> firm, right? I mean- yeah. And then there's, there's also the different, you know, the cost of completion method or the, uh, um, what's the other one? There's another construction one. I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, if you really want, if you really want to learn this at a high level, like go figure out your favorite publicly traded corporation, go figure out when their earnings call is, look at their financial statements and listen to the executives talk about what's going on inside of those businesses. Like that would be, I think that would be a lot better use of your time. Like if you really love Apple computers, figure out when Apple's earnings call is and go sit on their earnings call or listen to a replay of it and have them walk you through their financial statements. You get a lot more out of that because it's a business that you know and understand or any of these publicly traded companies that are in the dental space. They'll talk to you about what's going on in the industry. Like those would be a lot better use of your time than taking a college class. I agree. And the other one, the other thing that's really important, you know, a lot closing thoughts is that the financial statements, they tell you what happened from a financial perspective. They don't tell you everything about your business. Like I told you at the beginning of the conversation that there's people out there that think that the financials have everything in there. And they don't, like I said, you know, they don't, they don't show you a measure of capacity. They don't show you uh, new patient inflows. They don't show you, um, your production per day. They don't show you, um, your open chair time. They don't show you how many patients are coming in to being rescheduled for your hygiene every month, like, or every day like that. Those are important numbers to know if you're a practice owner, but they're not on your financials and no amount of financial analysis is going to give you any of those numbers unless you bridge the gap between practice management and financial numbers. And what we tell people is that we are CPAs. Um, and I know there's a lot of blurring of the lines of like, what CPAs do and don't do, but for us, we're CPAs. We handle financial analysis and we help you with financial analysis. Practice management analysis should be done on by, by practice management consultants. Um, and you know, we, we are not practice management consultants. I know that there's a lot of blurring of the lines in the dental industry for what is a practice management consultant or not. And yeah, we know a lot about the numbers, but I cannot tell, I don't know your hygienist. I don't know your office manager. I don't know your management style. I don't know 
what type of patience you have every day. I don't know how you like to turn patients over. I don't know how you, where you, how you like to have your tools set up and how efficient that makes your assistant. So I'm not going to be able to tell you, you know, I can't tell you how to, I'm not going to tell you how to do those things. I've never been a dentist before. Um, I can tell you, you know, how to be a leader and things like that, but um, I, I'm not going to be able to give you that practice management information. And so to me, in terms of the best financial advice I can give someone is to pay a practice management consultant for that time that you're spending. Cause if you're paying a CPA, I mean, you're paying 200, 300, 400, $500 an hour for this advice. And you're probably only, if, if you have a, a CPA doing this for you, uh, more than likely all they're going to find is problems. Probably not going to have any solutions. Probably just kind of problems are going to find. So rather than paying, you know, somewhere between 200 and $500 an hour for someone to find problems, pay a practice management consultant, you know, between 100 and 200 an hour to find the problems and give you the solutions. Um, much better use of your, your financial, your, 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 your money, um, so to speak. So um, financial numbers can, can help you look for areas of focus, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be giving you, um, you know, hard, cold facts that this is optimal performance. Like this is, that's not how financials work, unfortunately. And so um, that's a big misconception too. I I think there's a lot of people out there that that get into this game uh, because business is a game in a way. And they think that, and you know, if if I, if I optimize the financials, I'm going to win this game and it's not the financials. It's really the, the the people that you got to optimize. It's really the performance that you got to, you know, um, you know, practice management. It, it, it's, it's, it's a different game. It's a different thing. Uh, so I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm putting that out there that financial analysis does one thing, practice analysis, practice management analysis does a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother ball game. So there any other closing thoughts you have, Joseph? Well said, Jonathan. And ditto, ditto those things that you said, you know, financial statements can tell the story, but they don't tell the whole story. Uh, they can give you a, a glimpse of where you're at and where you're where you've been. That's the other thing about financial statements is they're always going to be backwards looking. I had this conversation with one of our clients a couple of weeks ago. You know, inherently they are talking about what happened in the past. It doesn't tell you what's going on in your practice today, uh, what's happening, what's on the schedule for next week, right? Those are not going to come out of your financials. They're always going to be backwards looking. So the challenge is to marry the two, right? Come up with what your goals are, figure out what you did in the past, then figure out what your future needs to look like to get to the place you want to get to. And I think that's where the beauty is. Yep, exactly. I agree. So anyway, uh, yeah, um, it's been a a fun set of episodes. Hopefully you've gotten a lot of value out of this listeners. Uh, If you have any questions about this, obviously uh, we talk about this too much already to our loved ones and they don't want to hear about it. So if you want to come over to the Facebook group and chat about financial statement analysis, we'll be there uh, and talking about it. So um, maybe if you found had some type of a really interesting number you found in your practice or you've had a way that you've been able to affect your numbers, um, you know, that, 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 we'd love to have you ever in the group and be able to hear about it. Um, so, uh, or if you have any questions about what your numbers mean, you know, we can give you some, maybe give you some context around that in terms from a financial analysis perspective. Uh, so anyway, so we appreciate you listening in. Hope you've had fun and we will see you next time. Bye guys. for today guys i hope you enjoyed this episode of the tooth and coin podcast Uh, if you are going to be a practice owner or a new practice owner and you're interested in cpa services head on over to toothandcoin.com where you can check out more about our cpa services Uh, we help out around 250 offices around the country and would love to be able to have the discussion about how we could help your new practice we do specialize in new practice owners so people that have 
uh, are, are about to be an owner of a practice they're acquiring, about to be an owner of a practice they are starting up, or has become an owner in the past five years. That is our specialty. Uh, we'd love to be able to talk to you about how we could help you in your services with your tax and accounting services. Uh, and if you enjoyed today's episode, again, go to the Facebook group, talk to us about what we've talked about, um, join in on the discussion, and let's create an environment where we can talk about some of these things so that we can all help each other get through these things together so that this adventure of business ownership is more fun, more productive, and better in the long term. Lastly, if you want access to those resources that we're going to that we are currently building, just text the word tooth and coin to 33444. That's tooth and coin, no spaces, T-O-O-T-H-A-N-D-C-O-I-N to 33444. Apply with your email address. We'll send you the instructions in the Facebook group. We'll send you the resources when they're available and we will see you next week.